G'day everyone, welcome to episode 2 of Ideas Digest, the election special. And boy am I about to push many of you right off into the deep end. I hope you can swim. Remembering that the purpose of this podcast, and indeed this episode, is to understand the person behind the idea and see if we can build a roadmap from who the person is, their life experiences, and how those factors have led that person to the political opinions they currently hold. Now, many, many, many of you will certainly be outraged by some of the opinions my next guest expresses. Part of me is happy about that because, let's face it, outrage gets clicks and we need to get this podcast shared. I certainly have different views to this guest and many guests, but why should that stop me trying to understand who he is and how he sees the world? It shouldn't. It just shouldn't. In this conversation, my goal was not to change his mind. This isn't a debate. Every question I asked had the intention of digging a little deeper, pushing, and ultimately seeking to understand an unfamiliar worldview. We cover a lot of topics well above our pay grade and go down a fair few rabbit holes, but that's what engaging with ideas on the ground level often looks like. You've got to wrestle with them and you've got to start somewhere. So as you listen, I want to ask that you put your own opinions to the side just for now and see if by the end of this episode, you see a little bit more of the humanity of a Fraser Anning supporter. Take a listen. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome to Ideas Digest, the podcast that engages with challenging ideas on the ground level. Remember... You, the people, the listeners, are the ground level, and a special welcome to you from our political mini-series. So, we're getting to know the people behind the political opinion. My name is Conrad. I'm joined today by a Queensland gentleman named Martin. Martin, thanks for being here. Hi. Good to be here. You're from Queensland. Whereabouts? Um, just west of Brisbane. I've moved. Um, I don't really want to share my location because Antifa, <laughs> Antifa will come after me. Uh, what? West of Brisbane. All right, that's good enough. Country. So in this four-part mini-series in Ideas Digest, I'm going to talk to regular people about who they support, but more importantly, I want to know why they support them. So we so often get caught up in debating the political idea, whether we, that we disagree with, and we don't bother getting to understand the person behind the idea and how they came to that conclusion. If, you, if you're wondering, oh, crap, I, I always debate ideas. I've never gotten to know the person. That's okay. Relax, because that's what this podcast is for. If you didn't catch the first episode, it's up now wherever you get your podcasts. And in that episode, I speak to someone who identifies as a lefty. He, he's a Greens-leading Labor voter. But today is the same structure, but a very different opinion. So... I'm going to start with the clickbait. I always start with the clickbait because, as you know, Martin, clickbait is the only way you get people's attention. And when it comes to political opinions, saying who you vote for is clickbait enough. So, Martin, in a couple of weeks, you're walking into the voting booth. Who are you going to vote for? I'm going to be voting for Fraser Anning's Conservative National Party. Are you going to preference anyone else? Uh, second preference will probably go to um, One Nation. I believe they're running a candidate in my electorate. Um, and then after that, any independent candidates and then Nationals, then Greens, then Labor. That's clickbait enough. You've said Fraser Anning, you've said One Nation. You would know better than I do that that's a red flag to a bull. Red rag to a bull, <laughs> yeah. is that the same? I think it's the same. Well, I'm not going to get into the nuance just yet. 
normally that's enough information for me to just make heaps of assumptions about you. I'm just making judgments nonstop and I'm sure you've mm-hmm. encountered that as well. So I'm going to play a game that I played with my last guest. I'm going to keep playing throughout this series. It's called, Martin, Correct Me If I'm Wrong. In this segment, I'm going to level some personal assumptions about you. And with just a simple yes or no, we don't have time mm-hmm. for too much nuance. I want you to tell me if I'm if it's correct right. or if it's not correct. And I want to start here where every political conversation starts. And sadly, this is where the conversation ends. But don't worry, this podcast will not end with wild sweeping assumptions. But that's where it's going to start. So play along at home. Martin, correct me if I'm wrong. You mm-hmm. said you vote for Fraser Anning. You must be a racist. Well, the the word racist is bandied around a lot lately. Um, so I would say with the current definition of racism, yes, I am a racist. Oh, okay. He's managed to slip some nuance into his answer. We can but get to that later. We will get to that later. You're a nationalist. Yes. Okay, got a couple. I'm off to a good street. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you are not a vegan. I am not a vegan. Hot streak. Correct me if I'm wrong, you're a Christian. I was raised a Christian. I would say I'm agnostic, but culturally Christian. So I'm going to go with a no on that one. Currently, you are not a Christian. Yeah. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you are pro-gun. I'm pro-gun. Hopefully, we'll get to some nuance later. (laughs) Yeah, nuance later. Don't worry about it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've never been to university. Incorrect. Ooh, that's a no. Wrong on that one. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're anti-immigration. I am not. Uh, I am not anti-immigration. Oh, that's a no. Okay. again. He's not anti-immigration. You are anti-gay marriage. Correct. You are a climate change denier. Incorrect. Oh, Nuance. Incorrect. Getting a few no's here. You watch, you only watch Sky News. Incorrect. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you must be a Trump fan. I'm a Trump fan. And last of all, correct me if I'm wrong, but you must not be a fan of Egg Boy. I'm not a fan of Egg Boy. So we had, you know, probably 50-50, some, some yeses, some noes. Before we get into nuance and, and let Martin explain the things he'd like to explain, where did you grow up? Queensland, lived in Queensland my whole life. I moved around a lot as a kid, like in primary school, and mostly I grew up in Harvey Bay, so the Wide Bay area. Central Queensland, I'd say, Southeast Queensland. You mentioned before you grew up Christian. Uh, what what denomination did you grow up in? And how, you said you identify as agnostic now. Just tell me yeah, about so that. Yeah, so I uh, grew up uh, Seventh-day Adventist. That was sort of... It's family's been in that church since, like, my grandparents. So um, my mum left the church for a while and then... When I was like seven or so, she just decided to start going back to church and dragged me along kicking and screaming. Eventually, I just sort of gave in, accepted it as like, yep, this is what i got to do on a Saturday. It had its challenges because I couldn't do Saturday sport, which um, kind of alienated me a little bit. And the moving around a lot when I was younger, I guess, alienated me as well. So I sort of stopped going to church when I was about 19 and moved to the city when I was about 20. To, uh, to study political science at Griffith University. I didn't complete that. I had challenges trying to secure stable work that fit around my university schedule and not having support networks in place that a lot of other people had. But I learned a lot and made a lot of good networks. Tell me a bit more about your family. Well, I was raised by a single mother. My father died in a car accident when I was three years old. I'm, I guess I'm kind of lucky that I've stayed out of prison and stayed off the hard drugs and yeah, I've kind of raised myself and um, gotten an understanding of the world to sort of put the suffering in perspective and sort of find positive ways to um, to take that experience and help other people. Mm, it sounds like a lot of suffering from a young age. Yeah, but I think suffering is part of existence. Everybody has different burdens. Um, it, it can be easy to get a victim mentality and go, oh, you know, my life's the worst. And I've struggled with that, you know, when I was younger, but I've come to terms with it and realized that everybody has struggles in life and a lot of them you just can't see and they don't complain about them. So, mm-hmm. And now you would say you're agnostic, but atheist or more agnostic? I wouldn't say atheist. I would say like when I was around 19, 20, I sort of started to get into sort of new age, more uh, diverse ideas of spirituality and, and sort of 
like Buddhism or something? Buddhism, Hinduism, just more sort of an understanding of like like uh, Hinduism has uh, an interesting perspective in that teaches that we are an aspect of God put on in this whatever you want to call it in order to gain experience. So it's it, we, we are God experiencing itself objectively. Mm-hmm. So the suffering that we each that we get it can build compassion and it can build understanding. So then when we our physical body dies whatever happens to our soul if we have a soul it feeds into that information gathering is part of god yeah yeah oh well good good deep thought there what did your mum do for work Uh, my mum is an aged care nurse so you mentioned you went to university Mm -hmm. and didn't finish yeah and now what do you do i work in a factory I, I'm a factory hand and um, doing a bit of uh, video editing and media production and that kind of thing, sort of I'm learning to program, trying to build up some skills so I can earn money with my brain eventually. So now self, self school, you're in the school of self. Yeah. Answer this how you want. How would you bracket your income bracket? Middle, middle, upper, upper. Where would you place yourself? Lower, middle. I was working on like minimum wage as a cleaner the last couple of years, but I've sort of depending on the amount of overtime I do, I can get bumped up to the 30% tax bracket, like tax bracket. Yay, I get taxed more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. You can work your ass off and pay a bit yep. more tax. Good on you. <laughs> have you traveled much? How many countries have you traveled to so far? I haven't traveled overseas. I I could have when I was younger because I, I came into a bit of money from my father's life insurance. Um, but I I didn't feel confident going overseas on my own. You know, I could have died in some third world country, you know, with my youthful vigor, (laughs) you know, oh, I'm going to climb this mountain and I could be that guy who falls into a volcano, (laughs) you know. So, I'd I'd like to travel. I just, the last few years, I haven't been able to afford to save enough to go overseas, but... um, When did you cast your first vote and who was it for? Did you vote at 18 or did you do what I did and (laughs) just not register for heaps of years? I know I know people who've done that and they've they're in their forties and, and upwards and they still haven't voted ever. <laughs> I don't know how the AEC doesn't catch up with them, but um Yeah, yeah I no, never I got voted. a fine or anything. I didn't fine I didn't vote for like it's five years. It's once you register that you get the fines. Anyway, um eighteen was my when I first voted and I think I voted for the Greens. A committed eighteen year old voter voting for the Greens? It was more of a protest vote than anything. Oh, a protest vote. Okay, so it wasn't a yeah. I support the Greens, it was like I'm going to be funny and vote for the Greens. I guess. I didn't really understand and have a deep understanding of politics back then. So Okay. And now you are voting for Fraser Anning. Yep. What has changed since the first vote? And why are you now voting for Fraser Anning? Can you outline your reasoning for me? Sure. I feel that in the last five or so years in Australia, I don't know what the sort of you could put down the causes as um, social media influence has has polarized people. I think that certainly played a large factor, but we see that the left has moved further to the left. And I was sort of center left when I was at university. So I was in the the, the uh, Griffith University Greens Club. I, I knew a lot of, you know, young labor types and they were often from, you know, middle-class families or they were the children of unionists. And so they'd been sort of indoctrinated into that whole um, unionism thing and they were a lot more politically savvy than I was you know it's like they, they were born politicians one one experience I had in a tutorial and that week we were covering feminism I had a, a tutor who was quite she was quite a, a strong opinionated woman and she was definitely a feminist I think it was like week four or five into the semester and the topic was feminism she asked people to raise their hands if they considered themselves a feminist and I was the only person that didn't raise my hand. And the, it's like the whole class turned against me. Like, this guy's the enemy. I kind of I kind of wanted it to do it as because I knew everybody would raise their hand, right? Um, even the people that were on the fence, they'd do it just because they're meek and they don't want to stand out and be a target. And I've always kind of been rooting for the underdog, I guess, because I have been the underdog. You know, at the time I was working casual at a, a cafe on campus, get like getting maybe 10 hours a week, you know, and I was, I was struggling. I was getting $460 a fortnight from Centrelink. My rent was $260. 
So that left me $200 left over for two weeks. So mm-hmm. I'd spend $50 on food, maybe $30, $40 on a, on a pouch of rolling tobacco. And then people will say, oh, that was an optional thing. Yeah, it was an optional thing. But, you know, once you're a smoker, that sort of... Becomes less optional the longer you smoke. Yeah. And then you have to get phone credit, right? Then you've got to put money on your go card so you can get around. And then if a bill comes up, like you're screwed. Um, and so I, you know, I was happy to put my hand up and say, no, I'm not, I'm not a feminist because, you know, and the, and the issue of the wage gap came up and I'm like, that's a load of crap. You know, women statistically that wage gap is create is a myth and it's created by the fact that women generally take more caring, nurturing roles. They take time off of work when, you know, if they fall pregnant or whatever, and they weren't even up to de- for debating. It was like a, it was like a free for all on me at that point. And I was feeling like it was a pretty hostile environment, right? You asked a few questions and, and pushed back a little bit on the assumption that there was a, a gender wage gap. Yeah. Even a little bit of devil's advocate, you know, a lot of, a lot of the work that men do, women don't want to do. Like how, how many women are pushing for equality for garbage truck drivers or, you know, crap jobs like that, that, that men end up doing because they want to provide. Anyway, without getting into all the, the crap of that, I was basically like, look, I don't see that I'm very privileged because, you know, I'm below the poverty line. I'm here to try and better yeah. myself. Um, but I don't <laughs> see that just because I'm a white male that I'm suddenly privileged, right? You know, I come from a, a single mm-hmm. mother household. I haven't been given heaps of opportunities, And I certainly squandered a lot of Mm. opportunities I had when I was younger. But after a while, I started to feel personally attacked because they were going after me personally. So I stood up to walk out of the lecture. I said, I'm not staying in this lecture. And she said, you will not walk out of my tutorial. And I'm just like, bye. So when you walked out of that lecture theater, that's when you walked out on your identification with the Greens party? No, it was it was a gradual sort of process, but that was sort of something that woke me up and, and made me realize that these things that they're teaching, they're not necessarily true. And and they're just sort of pushing them as gospel. There's an ideology being pushed and this, this kind of identity politics and victimhood. And you didn't find it an open environment that you could even ask questions within? No, I realized that. You know, and there was another there was another thing that happened. There was a was it, what would you call him a men's rights activist was going to come to Australia. He's uh, Roosh, Roosh V. He runs a website called The Return of Kings. He's a pretty controversial guy. I mean, he's, he's a pickup artist. Oh, yeah. I've heard of some pickup artists getting rejected his visa coming to Australia or something. Like yeah, that. he was going to come to Australia and there was this group that was organizing to protest him. And I was in the group. Um, Cause I was like, yeah, this guy's views are kind of disgusting. I want to be, I guess, an ally. And there was some discussion that happened in that group where they were basically like told me because I was a white man that I should just shut up and get out of the way. I wasn't allowed an opinion and it was very dismissive. And I was like, well, you know, I'm here to support you guys. Why are you treating me like this? I haven't done anything to, to be spoken down to like that. And I guess. So you were protesting against this pickup artist coming you were you were with the people who were fighting for him to not come to australia yeah at the time i was yeah and then that alienated me and i was like well okay if i'm not allowed to have an opinion here then i don't want to be here Mm -hmm. um i think every every perspective is valuable but they say because you're a white male white males get you know get enough of a voice so you you should shut up and get out of the way and i think that's that's kind of a toxic attitude to take well, it doesn't make you feel very valued as a person, that's for sure. No. Now you vote for Fraser Anning. Mm-hmm. What are the top three issues that are most important to you this coming election? And how does Fraser Anning's policies support those things? Like, what's, what's your voting issues? What's your top three? Or start with your top one. Top one would be infrastructure. So we have had quite rapid population increase uh, in Australia. The last 10 years, our population has increased by, on average, 200,000 a year. So that's 2 million people over a period of 10 years. Our population has increased about close to 10%. Most of those people move to the cities because that's where the jobs are. And that's a product of what I call the big Australia lobby. So that's big business and the unions colluding together to 
basically prop up the Australian economy to keep the GDP in positive growth to keep our uh, credit rating artificially inflated. So to say our con- our economy is doing well. Using immigration to keep to keep our economy growing because the more people that come, the more people spend money. Exactly. But the economy may not... If you stopped immigration, then our economy might not be growing. That's correct. Um, and we haven't had a recession in, what, 25 years. Wages have been stagnant largely for that time. Cost of living is constantly going up. You know, I've experienced this personally. When I left school, there just wasn't any jobs. It was very difficult to find good, stable work where you could just, like, get your own place, start a family, whatever. You know, because I, I, I And you blame big business... And unions, not entirely. Um, now that's it's it's become a major issue. But at the time, it was the global financial crisis happened the year, like the year I graduated, so that that drove um, drove down business confidence, and they weren't wanting to take on, you know, too many people. And then once you've got a, a few gaps in your re- in your resume and your work history, it becomes harder and harder, and then you can fall into the the uh, dependency on the welfare system, and you don't want to be dependent, but that's the only sort of thing you've got at the time. So you've got a lot of young people graduating from high school who generally go into low-skilled jobs. And a lot of those low-skilled jobs now are being filled by people on 457 visas because they've relaxed the requirements. It used to be that we had skilled migration. Now we've just got seemingly a free-for-all. They've really, really loosened the the, the standards for uh, immigration to Australia. And so... Um, and I think a large part to do with that is, you know, we've got good living standards, we've got a welfare system, and a lot of people um, want to come here and they want a free ride. That's how it feels, you know. And then when you do start paying tax, it, it really becomes, it starts to feel a little bit like you're being taken for a ride. So a few, a few issues you brought up there is there's not enough infrastructure to support the influx and growth of people, yeah. and that then connects to immigration policy and you're saying that immigrants that are coming over we're letting in too many low skilled ones that are taking the low skilled jobs that people like yourself relied on when you were going to uni and when you were trying to um, work your way up yeah and it makes it very difficult to pursue that higher higher learning when you don't have reliable income I think the priority should be assisting young people to be able to get into the workforce by not overcrowding because uh, it keeps wages artificially low as well. How will Fraser Anning help this? What kind of policies has he put on the table that will help the situation you're describing? Well, for starters, we don't prescribe to the whole idea of we need to get rid of coal now because until you have a transition plan in place for all those low-skilled jobs, you're going to have a lot of people move from the country to the city where they're going to have a larger carbon output. So your concern is with jobs in the economy, yeah? It's not It's not necessarily you're ideologically opposed to renewable energy. No, I'm not ideolo- ideologically opposed to renewable energy. And we can get those, secure those jobs in the regions where they're, where they're going to be losing huge amounts of jobs. So if the Greens came out and said, we're going to re- transition to renewable energy and we're going to ensure that those people who would have had the Adani mine jobs are going to be the ones trained for this solar farm or this offshore wind farm or whatever. How would you feel about that then? I think that would be that would be a sound policy. It wouldn't make me support the Greens, but I would support that policy. All right. Sounds like your concern is with smaller regional areas and people with lower incomes. Yeah keeping people in the regions, helping to develop regional areas so that um, we're not so reliant on all being packed into these cities um, because then you're importing a lot of your food. You know, It travels further to get to the city. You use your car more often. A better question to ask people, I think, rather than saying who do you support, is what percentage do you support Fraser Anning? So when you look at his policies and you look at who he is and you look at everything he stands for, what percentage do you align with him? Well, to give an accurate answer, I would have to have read all of the policies. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't. <laughs> Let's ballpark it, yeah. Look, honestly, in comparison to the other parties, I would say 100%. There's nothing he's done or said or there's nothing you've seen about him that makes you go, ah, I wouldn't agree with that, but I like this about him. So um, on Twitter, his Twitter account said that it would stop black immigration. 
And then he goes on to say, I don't want to stop black immigration. So there's the question of mixed messages being given to to people there. Um, that's a concern. That's about it, really. Like, there's the con- saying controversial things is a strategy to keep him in the news because the media has done... We're going to come to that one in a second, the, the stuff he says. But what, what percentage then would you say you align with One Nation? Because they're number two, but you've gone number one, Fraser Anning, number two, One Nation. Why aren't One Nation number one? Um, because I feel they've watered down their policies a lot and they've... In what way? What policies? It's kind of hard to quantify, um, but on a lot of issues, like uh, they've kind of not supported Fraser Anning and his statements. So without being coming across as, as a completely like a fanatical sort of follower, I think Fraser Anning is doing something similar to what Trump did in that he's trying to break through these um, restrictive, restrictive uh, language sort of policing that we've, that we've seen develop in the last five or so years. And one nation has, has kind of, shown weakness on a lot of these areas and a lot of their a lot of their candidates have shown that they're not pre- uh, living the values that they preach which is you know like there's all these scandals and um i just disorganization in the party disorganization in the party and there's you know james ashby one of her main advisors is a large a large part of why i don't support the party what uh has happened internally within the party i i just think that they're they try to pander to the left as if it's going to win them some points when the left... So it sounds like when Fraser Anning comes out and says something highly controversial... He doesn't apologize. The fact that Pauline Hansen steps back and, and, and cut him and said, yeah, we all... Like the left calls them out or just the mainstream calls him out and says, that's an outrage, you can't say that, that's terrible, blah, 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 blah. The fact that she's ditched him has given you pause for voting for them now because you're questioning their necessity to pander to what people are saying with this political correctness? They back down with the slightest amount of pushback, it seems. Um, And what I really admire in Fraser Anning is that he does not apologize. And as soon as you apologize to the far... far Why is that a good thing? Because as soon as you apologize to the far left, you show weakness, you admit guilt. And they seize upon that. But would you call the criticism that he received over some of his statements, would you call that the far left? Because it was definitely from the centre and even the centre-right coming from the Liberal Party also criticising. It was almost everybody, like you said, it was everybody except Fraser Anning that condemned what he said. So it's so it was, wasn't just the far left that called him out on it. Sure. I know a lot of sort of apolitical sort of center people who are like, no, this is what is said is wrong. Um, I think the the reason for that, a, a large portion of that, like, um, is that a lot of the media, if you look at the voting statistics of the mainstream media, you'll actually find that a third of or more of ABC journalists would vote Greens, um, even with News Corp only like 15%, uh, 20% of them would vote Liberal Party or a right-wing candidate. So we've seen these these voices become a larger portion of what the mainstream public in Australia sees. So they're dictating... So you would call the mainstream media the far left now? Is that what you're saying? Not the far left, no. But I think the far left has done a very good job of um, gaining influence within institutions, the education system, for example, and the media. What's interesting is that the media, when they when they get opinions and voices from people who are in these extremist left-wing groups that want the overthrow of Australia, decolonization, they call it, who hate the military, who hate the police, who basically want a communist revolution in Australia, right? They have these people on and they don't list them they don't say what they are. They just say, oh, this person says this, right? But every time, every time, say, Fraser Anning or a right-wing person or a patriot comes on the news, they have to go into great lengths of detail about their background just so everybody knows how bad they are and all the bad things they've done and said. And you're saying they're not following that standard of the far left. That's what what percentage of the Australian population, do you think the this far-left extremist wanting the overthrow of the Australian um, government into Marxism, what percentage do you think the Australian population is? 
it is quite small, but it's increasingly growing. And you think it's worth your concern? Well, they've they've gathered enough influence in positions of power and in media organizations that it magnifies their influence. And they, whenever there's a cause, they unite together behind it. They stop the squabbling, whereas the right wing, they're sort of more infighting and backstabbing. So you see them as more organized and more dangerous than the right wing? Yes. Well, I, I can say that from personal experience if you want me to go into background because last year I was assaulted by far-left thugs. So you were beaten up? I was beaten up. I broke my knuckle on one of their faces and was three months out of work because they declared me a Nazi and everyone's a Nazi now who doesn't agree with them. So you've been physically attacked by people who identify with the far-left? Yes, when we're talking about Fraser Anning, why is Fraser Anning not apologizing about anything? Why is that a good trait? I would assume that when you say something or you do something and you're wrong, my personal assumption would be, isn't it good if you apologize to recognize your mistakes and move forward? That's, but see, that's going on the assumption that anything that was said was actually wrong. I don't think that he actually said anything wrong. Okay, so it's not that he doesn't apologize. You're saying that he won't be pressured into an apology. He doesn't apologize for offending people because people now get offended at everything and they think that that gives them the right to shut down other people's speech. And I think that's dangerous. Let's move into this next part where I'll push back a little bit. Fraser Anning has a fair few controversies lately, that's for sure. I'm going to outline the controversy and then how it was generally viewed. And Martin, if you want to either uh, explain what you think people have missed, or you can let it go through to the people and go, no, that's, that's fair enough. And Tell me how you think these controversies may have been misrepresented and and tell me how you see them. The first one I have here is his final solution speech he gave in Parliament. If you're unfamiliar, he got up, he gave a speech, he used a phrase referencing, quote, the final solution, which has been linked to a speech, a famous speech that Hitler gave, referring to a final solution for the Jews. He used that same phrasing. He's been accused then of being racist and deliberately doing that. Martin, tell me what you see there. Um, He didn't say the final solution. The quote was, we need a final solution to the immigration question or problem. And do you think that was in any way he was deliberately linking that to a speech Hitler gave? I don't think he was deliberately linking it to a speech that Hitler gave, but I think there's the possibility that there was an intention there to create outrage to uh, to get so if he did it he did it for clickbait potentially yeah okay. and it's worked the next controversial thing Fraser Anning said after the Christchurch terrorist attack uh, in New Zealand where 51 Muslim people were killed, Fraser Anning released a statement. I'll read a a line from it. The real cause of bloodshed on New Zealand streets today is the immigration problem which allowed Muslim fanatics to migrate to New Zealand in the first place. There was obvious mass outrage. It was... It was... He was blaming the terrorist attack on the Muslims themselves who had just died. Martin, what are people missing? Like, is... Is he okay to say that? Is that fine? Is it? How do you say it? I would I would say that um, I have certainly seen a group called Hizbut Tahrir in Australia say the exact same thing when um, Christians and Western people are attacked and killed. Uh, they will say that this is justified because of the interventions, uh, the military occupation of Muslim lands. But does that justify Fraser Anning's statements in this specifically? Like, do you agree with them? Do you think they're fair enough or do you think he may have overstepped the mark and he, you're not really in support of may that? may have overstepped the mark a little bit in, in calling them Muslim fanatics because they were just run-of-the-mill, you know, regular Muslims. Do you think he should have released that statement? Um, it depends. Like, it's... Just you personally, I'm not saying that you have to tell him to take it back or apologize for it. I'm just saying when you hear that, what's your reaction to that? I I think it's it is quite inflammatory. Um, I wouldn't say that. Do you think it's true? To an extent, I do think it is true, because I think I don't think it was a justification for the violence. It was more of an under uh, uh, explanation for. A lot of people feel that. 
uh, this monoculture, which is being imported into our multicultural country, right? We don't have problems with Sikh terrorism in this country or Jewish terrorism or Christian terrorism. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe what he was saying with that statement is that if we continue to import this monoculture into our country, these people who don't respect us, don't respect our values, who believe in a parallel legal system, who believe that people who don't believe what they believe are deserving of death, that's in the Quran, that's fact, right? Even even the moderates, they might not say it, that's still taught in their mosques. Now, that mosque that was attacked, two terrorists attended that mosque, who were killed in airstrikes in Yemen. In that tiny little, tiny little Muslim population of Christchurch, New Zealand, two terrorists came from that one mosque who were fighting with the Islamic State. But I guess the problem with that statement when it says it's because Muslims are here as to why we have violence, it just completely ignores the fact that someone who was Australian, who identified as an Australian, I don't know if he identified as a Christian. I've read the manifesto and he said he was raised Christian, but whether or not he was Christian now, he said, I don't know. So someone would say he was, he he's raised on Christian values and that's his culture that he's come from and he's killed, he killed more people in New Zealand than Australia has ever seen die in an Islamic terrorist attack. And I guess the problem with when you blame Muslim immigration for that, the stats don't back it up. I, I, I think I think what Fraser Anning was saying is that if you continue to import people who, like I've explained, don't don't respect our values, our customs, um, our laws, or us, um, there's going to be pushback. What he's saying is that people with different cultures and beliefs can't live cohesively together. That's what he's saying. I don't think, no, I don't think he's saying that multiculturalism doesn't work. He's saying that this specific ideology does not mix with multiculturalism because it is a monoculture. But then where the the Australian culture that ultimately was responsible for 51 deaths, if we're linking it to culture and things like that, that's, that's equally part of the problem. Our, our inability to it to accept this Muslim culture. No, the, it's it's the inability to accept their inability to accept our culture, to accept that we accept people from all around. We accept Indians, Chinese, Africans, as long as Do they follow though? the law. But the problem is, the South Sudanese immigrant population is overrepresented in violent crime, and a lot of that violent crime isn't being reported, especially in Victoria, because their prisons are full. And they let them walk back out on the streets again. So people don't like the idea of people coming from war-torn countries, right? You'd think they'd be grateful that they can live in a peaceful, nice country. But instead, they're going out and robbing jewelry stores. Now, I'm using hyperbole here. But you've got people robbing jewelry stores and breaking into little old ladies' houses and terrorizing them. I guess the question is, how much of a statistical representation do we need to then vilify and label the problem of another culture? Because if you were a New Zealander, you could look at this one Australian that's come over and killed a lot of people and say, Australians are the problem. Their culture is violent. They're drunk. They're all these things, which is a statistical minority of the Australian population. One could argue the exact same case with the Muslim population saying it's a statistical minority. Do we treat them all the same? That is actually a statistical minority. Now, if you look at sources like the Anti-Defamation League and other other Jewish groups that monitor hate speech online, they will they will tell you that in far right wing terrorism is this huge problem. But when they look at but you look at they have skewed t- statistics and they'll show the United States in the last three years because yes, there's been a couple of horrible incidents like at. Uh, Charlottesville. Well, I mean, there are a couple of synagogue shootings as well, and which were came from far right. If you look at the global statistics, Islam is a Sunni Islam specifically is the source of probably over half of. Um, but is it fair terrorism. to look at global statistics when we're talking about specific countries? Because the Middle East is rife with sectarian war. Is it fair to include... Yeah, a lot of it's Muslim on Muslim it, violence. But, I mean, you could look at Northern Ireland and then say, if you're looking at global um, statistics on religions and violence, like terrorism 
was around and still is around in Ireland, Northern Ireland, Christians, Catholics, Protestants, bombing each other, fighting each other, shooting each other. So, I mean, but that's not a problem Christians and Protestants have here in this country. Yeah, I, I would say in terms of the, the Irish civil war that um, a lot of that comes down to, and like you can say in the Middle East, you know, a lot of it comes down to sectarian stuff, like external powers dividing groups, divide and conquer, right? But you see what um, I'm saying? Like you can still, if you're going to use global different scenarios, you can you can easily pin it to a Christian religion or a Buddhist religion. Like I think it's Buddhism in Myanmar. They've committed a massacre there. Hindu in uh, India and Pakistan. It's the Hindu religion that's in trouble over there. I think in those instances, you can say that um, it's not the religion that's driving them to do it. Religion unites them, certainly, as a tribal group. So then but how do you... Built, it's not built into their ideology like it is with Islam. But this stuff like the the um, g- the genocide in Myanmar, that's recent and that was Buddhists. How do, we, how do we then label this one religion as having it within it? When you've got... I'm going to put a pin in that one and keep going. Sure. The egg boy controversy when Fraser Anning copped an egg to the head... Mm-hmm. Not a fan of Egg Boy. How do you see that? I think I think uh, the guys that pinned him to the ground overreacted a little bit. I think they 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 probably enjoyed it a little bit too much. And one of the guys is facing charges for laying the boot into the kid, which I think was a bit far. It kind of makes us all look like thugs, and it's a little bit of bad publicity. I think it's quite rich that the media was basically praising this kid. He was all over the media, right? And they were like, oh, we've got Egg Boy on, you know, do you feel sorry? And he's like, yeah, I feel sorry because I found out that, oh, a bunch of bogans will beat you up if you if you egg a senator. And he didn't face any charges, right? And meanwhile, a couple of years back, someone threw an egg at Julia Gillard. Mr. hit a security guard and he got like $1,000 and a criminal record, $1,000 fine. So you're, you're saying uh, there's unfair treatment because Egg Boy represented the left rather than if he represented the right, he'd face harsher punishment. Egg Boy represented the establishment, but it's a, sets a, it sets a precedent of it's okay if you disagree with somebody to throw eggs at them. And I saw, I've seen a lot of commentary, people going, oh, next time it should be a brick, right? You give them an inch, they take a mile. As soon as they go, oh, I can get away with throwing an egg at a senator and everyone's going to get tattoos off me and give me $40,000 then when's it, when's it going to stop? You know, you have to stop politically motivated violence before it escalates. And I can say that because I've personally experienced it. When you start to paint other people and dehumanize them, calling somebody a Nazi, right, for having different views is dehumanizing. So once you dehumanize your opponent, like they've called Fraser Anning a Nazi, now they can go around and they can throw eggs at him. They yell in his face every chance they get and they say it's justified. Yeah, fair fair problem of the vilification of, of someone who's different. If you vilify them, if you make them an outsider, if you make them an other, then it's okay to hurt them and do atrocious things like mass shootings, like throwing bricks at people and like beating them up. There's, there's different scales to it. And I will say, I have lived with a Muslim. He was a secular Muslim. He didn't go to mosque all the time. He went occasionally. He was a lovely guy, right? There's a few minor sort of cultural differences that because he respected me, right? I would drink alcohol. At- Is that not most Muslims in Australia? They've been here for over 50 years. My experience is like yours. We've both had great... We've both got good friends that are Muslim, great guys. No. Oh, I can only... I can only speak from my, I can speak from personal experience. Do you want to go for a walk through Bankstown, um, have a drink with me and see what happens? Western Sydney near Lakemba. You want to walk through there? You want to take a woman who's not covered and see, see how they look at her? When, when they're a minority, they behave. As soon as they have the numbers, they group together, they form parallel societies and they start to look at the outsiders and they look down on them. They say they're not spiritually pure. They're not following that's, the one true yeah, religion. That's hard because, but now you've, I'm like, if I go from my personal experience, my personal experience, been to Indonesia, I've got uh, Muslim friends, all great, all personal. And kind of what you're saying is if my friend had more of his friends, he would start being more of a dick. So is my friend only nice because he's not around his culture? No, I don't think necessarily, but I think there's certainly something to be said about group dynamics and group psychology. Once you have a group of people 
who believe the same thing or whatever, even if they might not agree with what the group's doing, they go they 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 can generally go along with it because they want to keep their head down and fit in within the group. Okay, moving on to the next one. One Nation staff wanting to take money from the NRA in their mission to push through gun deregulation. How do you see that? I think I think that's kind of icky, but I uh, because I don't think so. You're not a fan. You don't you don't think One Nation should take money from the NRA to push through gun because regulation. it's a foreign entity and it's a foreign lobbying group, right? So I okay. think so you're, if yeah, it was a domestic if it was a domestic that. lobbying group, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I'm 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 pro gun, but okay. I don't think we All should right. be giving out you know automatic rifles to kids, right? Like I, I'm not. You know, I'm not gun crazy, I, but I, I think... You don't want to be like America. You want to be somewhere between, somewhere us, between and us and America. The ex-One Nation senator, Malcolm Roberts, does not believe in human-induced climate change. This was obviously controversial when he was on Q&A with Brian Cox, the scientist, and Brian Cox showed him a graph of the increase of CO2 and temperatures, and uh, Malcolm... Roberts imply that NASA had manipulated that data, implying some kind of conspiracy. Obviously, that was controversial. How do you see that? I, I don't have an issue with climate change as as an idea. I think it's – I'm not an expert on the topic. I'm not a climate change denialist. I'm a pragmatist. So I think you know Australia, in terms of our global CO2 emissions, is a drop in the ocean compared to India and China – with their massive populations who are rapidly industrializing and burning a lot of coal to do it. I think those countries those countries should be given access to renewable energy so that we can stop that output, right? So these, these developing countries are putting out a lot of CO2 and they don't have the regulation like we've got in Australia. So I think Australia's climate regulation is quite good. It could be better... But I don't think that we should scuttle our entire uh, large portions of our primary producing economy in order to appease the United Nations when you've got other countries throwing their weight around and refusing to comply. So you're okay with climate change. You're on board with the scientists that say human humans are making the situation far worse. We need to do something about it. But you would say Australia is not a, not a big emitter. We shouldn't be sacrificing what you see as a downturn in our economy to become cleaner. But I think ultimately the goal we should be working towards is getting our population off this planet. We need to get off this planet and let it rejuvenate because we're destroying it. We need we need bigger solutions. So you're so you're a you're an environmentalist. Absolutely I am. Yeah, you care about the environment. Yeah, I do. I think the Great Barrier Reef should be preserved for future generations. If we can invest more money into research and development and developing our high technology industries and um, creating education available for, for, for young people so that they can integrate into, the, into that economy, I think that's something that we should be doing. So you want more policies that care about the environment? Yeah, and actually that actually do something about it, at, not at the cost to people. Your, your reservation is that you don't think something like a carbon tax will help solve the Climate Correct. Problem. I think that's just a band-aid solution. They want business as usual. And I don't think business as you big business wants business as usual, and I don't think that that's sustainable for the future of our planet. Well, big business doesn't want a carbon tax, that's for sure. Thanks for talking to me. We've covered a lot of different topics and there's a lot of different rabbit holes we went into and we could keep yeah. going down forever. Sum it up for me. Why should someone vote for Fraser Anning Conservative National Party? You have one minute. Go. <laughs> if you if you want your children to have a future in this country, and you don't want um, globalist politicians who are then going to leave with their parliamentary pensions and then go and work at the UN, working against Australia's interests, in order to basically get a bigger pay packet and a pat on the back from from these uh, globalist organisations, if you actually want a future for your children and someone to stand up and fight for them instead of um, bending over at the slightest bit of resistance, I think you should vote for Fraser Anning's Conservative National Party. I, I also encourage viewers to go and look at Fraser Anning's Conservative National Party policies. There's a lot of really, like there's the hyperbole about race and immigration, but if you look at um, his plans for regional development, for example, the Bradfield scheme, a modified version of the Bradfield scheme, which will irrigate central 
and south uh, southwest Queensland. It will allow us our, our farmers to thrive, and then we probably won't need to rely on mining so much. So you think Fraser Anning is good for rural areas? Where do you get your news from? You've mentioned not a fan of the ABC. You said you don't watch Sky News. Where do you get information from? What would you recommend for people to get their news from and to wake up the sheeple? Really, I I can't say that there's one outlet that I would recommend. I would just say that, you know, most people aren't switched on. 90% of people don't haven't developed the critical reasoning skills to look at media that they don't agree with and to be able to critically analyze it. So I think we should be investing more in our education systems to raise people with the skills to critically analyze the media that they're being viewed and look at why am I being shown this? What's the motivation behind this message? I think everyone can agree with that. And on that note, Martin, thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks for talking to me. Also, I want to plug out The Unshackled. Check out theunshackled.net. That's a podcast that you appear on? podcast. Uh, we do news. We do events coverage. I've been to a number of protests, done videos on that. Got Bash doing it. I love it. I live <laughs> for it. <laughs> oh, Martin, it's been great talking to you. Thanks. Likewise. Thanks, mate. See ya. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I really enjoyed that conversation, and I personally learned a lot. I just realized I have never actually engaged in a conversation without trying to change someone else's mind or at, at the very least, just try to prove them wrong just a little bit. Um, come on, guys, be honest. That's, that's got to be you too. Right? I'm the only honest one. Come on. Don't leave me out here all alone. So I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. Maybe you didn't. Uh, I'm sorry. But either way, share your thoughts with me on Instagram. You can DM me, comment on our cool photos we put up at Ideas Digest, or send me a message via email, ideasdigest at gmail.com. Feel free to send through any thoughts or topic ideas that you would like me to discuss. And stay tuned. We have two episodes left in this political mini-series with a Green supporter and a Liberal supporter coming up. And if you liked this episode, mildly enjoyed it, thought it was entertaining, or you just want to help a brother out, please rate and review us on iTunes. And only be honest if you thought it was five stars. If you thought it was four stars or less, then lie and share it with anyone. Seriously, seriously, anybody. Your your second cousin, I do not care. What's that? You've never you've never spoken to your second cousin? Well, me either. This podcast is probably going to be a really great icebreaker. Uh, I'll leave you I'll leave you to it then. That's it from me. I will catch you next week.